Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. We're going to do things different. I don't have a scripture text. I'm going to go straight into it today to start teaching. I'm strictly going to teach today to try to help you all understand righteousness and restoration righteousness and restoration if you look at your syllabus this is where we begin to explain to you as we all are growing together at this semester on these topics where god restores you to more than what humanity had before the fall god's intention for us is to be restored to more than what adam had in other words If you look at the scripture, you're going to look at a very fine blueprint from Adam all the way to Moses and all the way to every king and every prophet to the time of Christ. You're going to find transitions. You're going to see a lot of transference of authority. And, you know, there was judges before the time of kings and then kings would come and then King Jesus came. And when King Jesus came, he came to restore us and reconcile us back to God in a newer way, in a better way, under a new covenant. But today we're going to talk about restoration and what it means. I'm going to start off by giving you an example and kind of set the tone today. Probably most of you men would appreciate this. Uh, Maybe some of you women here as well. And. If you need a syllabus, you can raise your hand and the ushers will give you a syllabus if you don't have one for you to take notes today. And so what I want to show you, I begin to think about restoration and how righteousness goes into that and how it all works. I want to show you this picture of a 1926 Model T, Ford Model T. T-top, and I guess he would call it a T-top. This is a car that belonged to our dear friend, my dear friend, one of the ushers in this church. His name is Elmo. Anybody know Elmo? Where's Elmo at? Raise your hand. He stand up, Elmo. No, stand up. That's Elmo in the back. Raise your hand. He's not red. He's Latino. He's brown. Elmo's one of the sweetest guys I know. He's, he's just been a longtime friend. Uh, God did an amazing work in Elmo's life when he first came to us. And he was, in fact, in my office. And I'll never forget when God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my office. It was the most amazing baptism I've ever seen in my life. And God, he's been with us ever since. But one thing you know about Elmo, he's an uh, enthusiast, a car enthusiast. He loves to have projects and loves to restore things, and this is one of his first Ford models right here. This Model T, it's really, really, if you do the history and the checking on these models, they were really complicated. Well, in fact, all cars were, really. You and I don't understand the, most of us don't understand the convenience that we have today through technology. Some of you now can just have your keys in your purse or in your pocket and step into your car, walk up to your car and just hit the button of the handle, it open. Or sit in it, hit the button, and it starts. Not this. With this car, you had to not only, which had no real gauges that you look at in your car, You know, if you didn't have your gauge to tell you where the gas was, you'd be in trouble. The other cars, this one like this, you didn't know you ran out until you ran out. You'd have to somehow check into it and see where you were at, kind of like your lawnmower. Where are we at with gas? Well, I figured I put about five gallons. It'll last me about a yard and a half, so I figured about this point I need to refill it again. This car didn't turn with the key. You literally had to step out of the car, step into the front of the car after you did about 
10 or 20 switches that you know were in the right position. You had to open up the side of the engine, open up the gas valve that was fed with gravity-fed gasoline, and then you had to go in the front, and then you had to actually take a crank, and then you would have to turn it and crank it on with a good swing. One good swing, and if you did it right, a lot of like you starting your riding mower, then it would be a good good start and then you would have to now go to the side of the car and there would be idles on the side of the of the steering wheel and you had to adjust the idle take it out of choke and then you have to just begin to set it and then it would idle right then you can step into the car after you adjusted the brakes and after you put everything in the clutch and did everything that you know it just so many things that I'm thinking to myself I'm glad I wasn't born in 1926 I'd have kept my bike I'll just keep my bike. And, and so this is complicated. And to find it out, to find out where you were with this and find out what you needed to do, I, I actually went back and I found the manual for Model T Ford. And I started to read the manual to find out how complicated this car was. And I'm going to tell you, we're blessed today. If you got a car, and, and, and listen, you may not have air conditioning, I just got to tell you, you're still blessed. You're still blessed. This was a complicated car, even off the production line. And, you know, even in the manual, did you know in the manual for this car, it recommends not city water or water from the faucet or the well. They recommend you using rainwater for the radiator. And after you use the rainwater and you catch harvested rainwater you would put it in your radiator and you would or the, the system that would cool the system you had to start the car and when you knew that after doing all of that rigorous operations of filling it up and turning it on the water would be full when you saw it shooting out of the car that's how you knew you had enough water it's just a complicated issue and it gave you things to do and what not to do how to set the timing on this. You literally had to be a mechanic and have enough knowledge to just drive this thing. And that manual would tell you the things you needed to do if it didn't work right. Or if you didn't upkeep it, then it would break on you. Very finicky, just very finicky. To me, it just wasn't worth it. But anyhow, that was new technology. A lot of what we deal with in church is, is that similar to this, the origin of everything that we see in, in this world, the origin of it, you, you can't really, when you say somebody's going to restore an item that was back in the 1920s, you can't find those parts anymore. You can't do it. You can't go back to an old system. And when you go back and look at the maintenance reports and see all of these things, those, no one sells these parts anymore. So now you have to buy something that has been modified. Now, my dear friend Elmo also has taken this car and restored it. And here's the new version of the Model T. Now, this car has power. This car, all you got to do is turn the key. This car is actually right outside for you to check out after service. And if you look at this car, this car has been restored and upgraded with modern, more modern technology. It may not be like your Tesla, but I promise you this, you don't have to get in the front and crank it. You don't have to wait for it to rain to put water in it. For the best water, at least back then, I don't know about now, but back then. There's modern day conveniences, but I want to show you that the, the, the engine on this car is phenomenal. The reason why I'm showing you this is because this is probably one of the best examples that I can think of right now to understand, help us understand what it was like to live for God under an Old Testament with the law versus grace and his righteousness. The old model 
of humanity had to go through religious sequences of traditions, of events, through different times of the year, sacrifices, the raising of the animal. It was a lot of work. To raise those animals for blood sacrifices was a lot of work. And then to try to keep up with living under the law without the power of God in the inside, it just was impossible. But God was trying to keep them and protect them, and God gave them the law as a manual. God did not give them the law to keep them in bondage. God gave them the law to keep them from bondage. You got to remember God's people came out of Egypt and they were pagan worshipers. So everything that you're going to see and read about in the Old Testament was there to set boundaries on all those pagan gods, pagan worshipers, and sin that would bring them back to a Babylonian-type captivity. God didn't want them to go backwards. But nonetheless, that failed. So when you look at the actual lineage of everyone from, from Adam and everyone to Abraham and then to Isaac to Jacob and then to Joseph and then further to Moses and you look at every single one of them, there was an escalation of revelation for them to walk with God. But at the end of the day, none of it was sufficient enough even for kings that God raised up even with the Ark of the Covenant that God gave them and God sent the ark, gave Moses the temple, the blueprints for it and put his spirit in the midst of them in a box and gave them the ordinances to worship, to try to help them. But doing all of that was like an old rusty Model T compared to what was to come. What was to come. This is a restoration based on, I would say, very similar to a new covenant. Because when you look at the restoration that God had, he brought in the old symbolism and the identity of Adam and called Jesus the second Adam. But the second Adam had and was filled with the Spirit of God, was without sin was tempted but never, never succumbed to temptation. Jesus had something on the inside and was somebody that could not fail. And that's why every other vehicle, if we were to look at our bodies, it would be like vehicles. His vehicle was able to outlast, outrun, and maneuver, and there was no devil in this world with enough power to keep up with him. Satan himself could not keep up with him even under the hour of temptation in the 40 days and the 40 nights. Jesus was just built different. Jesus was just built different. He had all power. He had all authority. He had everything at his disposal. But see, that was God's tell, way of telling us there's coming a restoration and I'm going to give you something on the inside that I gave to my son that when you are out in this world, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you the ability to outlast the competition. Under an Old Testament system, restoration looked like this. Job chapter 42, verse 10. Job's life was restored. And when Job began to pray for his friends, God restored his fortune. The process of being restored is always and always will be the same. It requires repentance. Job had to pray for forgiveness over his friends that were arrogant the religious people that came around and said, well, you had to have done something wrong. No one could go through this type of suffering without sinning. Job tried to tell them, I'm not sinning. I'm not doing something wrong. I have done everything right. Have you ever thought that the reason why you and I go through things is just for God to fine-tune us? 
At the end of Job's life, at the end of his story in this, rather, he said, I abhor myself because I have seen myself. And Job's heart changed. But when things started turning around is when he had the ability to see his own self and then to pray for others. And then the scripture says, in fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. You see, restoration is meant to give you more than what you had before. Restoration will never give you what you had before. A lot of the definitions that we can look up, Google restoration, it will tell you to bring something back to its original state. But biblical restoration is to bring you back to a better state than what you had before. A better state. And then the scripture says in verse 11, Then all his brothers and sisters and former friends, former friends, came, feasted with him in his home. Now I want you to picture this. Former friends all came to his house. They got the invite. Job's a different man. Invited them all in. They feasted together and they consoled him. Now everybody's like, Joe, we know you had it, man. We know you had it, brother. We know you weren't guilty. We know you weren't guilty. Right? You ever, you ever know anybody like that when you're like struggling to get across the finish line? But when you get across the finish line, all the haters are like, we knew you can do it. We knew you could do it. <laughs> Listen, keep running the race, keep praying, keep believing, even though even it doesn't matter what condition you're in, if you stay the race, you're going to win. You're going to come out ahead. Job had to continually walk with God. Even his wife said, curse God and die. But they all consoled him. They comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And then each of them, each of them now brought him a gift of money, a gold ring. And so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than the beginning. Now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. God didn't just restore him. God made him better. But that's an old covenant restoration. That's an old covenant. Things can be restored. If you want to find out the true struggle of a old covenant restoration, then you read the prayer of King David. In Psalms 51, King David commits murder and adultery. He put himself in a position he should have never been in. David, King David, was supposed to lead the charge and lead his men into battle, but he stayed behind. Got lazy. Didn't assume his responsibilities. And had an affair with one of his captain's wives. Got her pregnant. She got pregnant and then he invited him to come back home and he had him murdered. And he thought he was going to get away with it. But then the prophet came and told him what he had done. And then David began to repent and in remorse began to pray this prayer. And he said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. See, David knew God was a merciful God. He knew God was loving and kind. And he said, wash me thoroughly for my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, I acknowledge, and that's one of the first steps is acknowledging I need help. I did wrong. But also simultaneously knowing in your mind, my God loves me and he's a merciful God. You have to understand those two things. If you're going to experience restoration in your life, your God is merciful and your God can restore you and loves you. And he can blot out your transgressions if you confess them. You must confess them. You see, if you want someone to fix something in your life, you have to tell them what's wrong.
You don't show up to the doctor's office and say, guess what's wrong with me? Can I guess? If you can guess, I'll, I'll send you five more customers. What's, this? what's wrong? You don't do that. They have to do blood work. They have to check you. They have to begin to do an analysis. I mean, you know, I'm just telling you that even if you drive your car to the shop to get it fixed, you have to tell the mechanic what the problem is or let him drive the car. At some point, you have to make your troubles or problems known in order for someone to fix it. When we go to God, the best thing we can do with God is be honest with God and tell him. See, God already knows, though, right? So, so it's like we say to ourselves, why do I have to tell God if he already knows? Because God wants you to know that he knows, but he does not quite sure if you understand that you know or don't know. But he knows, okay, now they know they have to deal with this now. Because there's not a devil. See, you can cast out a devil. See, you can't cast out your flesh. You have to work on that flesh. Repent of some things. Make some things right. And this, the good news is, this is where righteousness comes in to help us do right. And so David knew this. But I want you to, I'm going to skip down further. And he begins to say, only I have sinned in verse Three And he said, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And he goes on further, but he said that you may find that, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He's saying, I recognize it, God. I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to tell you I'm the problem. I've sinned. I made the mistake. But then he said, verse seven, he said, behold, you desire God. You desire, capital Y, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. You want to know one of the most frustrating things for us to do in a restoration job? Ladies, have you ever tried to restore a piece of furniture and couldn't find the part? Men, have you ever tried to restore your car or engine or anything in your house and you realize that that part is now obsolete? Parts are a hard thing to catch sometimes, especially if they're not the original or the original don't exist. But David was saying, God, you're the only one with the parts that I need on the inside to fix me. Amen. Truth. That's what God has given us on the inside of our spirit to fix us, restore us, strengthen us, rebuild us. And David knew this. He knew this. He goes on further and he begins to talk about in verse 10. I'm going to jump down to verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart. How does he do that? By restoring truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? But knowing isn't just knowledge. That's not what that is speaking of. Knowing is experiencing. Like, I know God. Like, you know who Jesus is, but do, do you know him by experience? Yes, sir. Big difference there. You can read the owner manual to any car, any piece of equipment, but that doesn't mean you know the equipment by experience. You don't learn how to drive by reading about the car. You learn about driving by driving the car. You don't learn how to be a Christian just by reading the book. You learn how to be a Christian by walking it out, by making mistakes, by making bad decisions so you know what it is to make a good decision. By going through failure so you know what wins look like. Amen. you got to make mistakes. You can't be afraid. you got to step up by faith and you got to get over the bad day and say today was a bad day, but tomorrow's going to be a better day. The mercies of the Lord, they're renewed every day. Great is his faithfulness. God wants to restore. In verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. Now he's talking about restoration, but he's saying it's going to be by your spirit. This was the prayer of a king under an old covenant. But God had a better plan. I believe God heard that prayer. And I believe everything in the Psalms were pointing to the Lamb of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and what he would bring. 
And God sent Jesus into the world to show us what it looks like in the kingdom. If you want to know what a kingdom life looks like, read the life of Jesus Christ. He was in full display of the kingdom of God. There wasn't a sickness that he couldn't heal. There wasn't a demon he couldn't drive off. There wasn't a situation he was stuck in where he was lacking. He did never, never had to lack. He even had it by choice. He could have built himself a mansion. He could have built himself a city. But he said, I want to choose. I'm going to let people give me a place to rest my head so he's not going to force himself on humanity in other words he wants us to make the decision I want you in my heart and in my life and this was David's prayer come in me Lord create a clean heart let me start over restore the joy of salvation salvation is the existence of reconciliation between God and his creation Restore to me that joy. That's where joy comes from. Joy comes from the Lord. He's happy when you're restored and reconciled back to him. Angels rejoice after one sinner that comes to God. How much more being in his hands every single day. Turn to somebody and tell them God wants to restore us to something better. The only point I'm giving you today is this point. God does not restore us back to our original state, but a better one. God does not restore us back to our original state, but a better one. You know, Jesus is called the second Adam. But he didn't come to give us back what the second Adam had. He came to restore us to back to what the that's the first Adam had, but what the second one had. If we were restored back to Adam's state, God had more than the garden because the garden didn't keep them there. And if we were restored back to the first Adam's state, do you realize that we'd all be playing hide and seek like Adam did when he sinned? God, we'd still be sacrificing animals and wearing, some of you would be wearing a bandana of a raccoon skin on your head <laughs> to all my Latino friends out there you wouldn't know what to do you know shoes where'd you get those shoes oh I sinned last week I sinned last week yeah it's possum it's possum it's all I had man times are rough <laughs> forgive me Lord I can't help myself If God restored us back to what Adam had, we'd all be losing our minds, be hiding, and still have to sacrifice animals. But he sent Jesus, and he became the ultimate sacrifice. He became the Lamb of God. The blood of Christ is still in existence today by faith. When the first drop hit the ground, the earth cried out vindication, justification, redemption, restoration. That's why the book of Hebrews says the blood of Jesus cries out better things than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out, I've been murdered. I've been backstabbed. I've been betrayed. And Jesus came back and dropped his blood and said, I'm going to restore everybody back to a better state than what they were before. I will pay the price. I will pay the price. And what Jesus was in this world, God wants us to be in this world also. Let me show you this really quickly. 1 Corinthians 15 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says it like this. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. The first Adam in the garden became a living person because God breathed in him and became a living soul. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then comes the spiritual body, it comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Parts unknown. You can't buy those parts on eBay. You can't find heaven's parts on, on, on Amazon. You can't call a guy 
You can't call a guy and say, hey, this is what I'm missing in my life. The only person you can go to is Jesus Christ. The only individual, and he's in heaven. And from heaven, he gives you what heaven has in its stock. I'm still talking cars. He gives you what's in store. He gives you what's available. You see, everything that we need is obsolete and was under the law. It didn't work. The only one that has what you need to restore you completely is Jesus Christ. And this is why God, after Christ, and he ascended up into the heavens, poured his spirit out in the hearts of humanity. You have something on the inside that gives you direction. So verse 48, earthly people are like the earthly man, like Adam, living by your own strength, your own righteousness, your own ability. And heavenly people are like the heavenly man, the second Adam. You have something that he had. And he gave you something that you needed. But the Lord came to reconcile, reconcile and to restore us back to God, to a better state. And he wouldn't come this time just to leave limitations on us. He came and he gave us his righteousness on the inside. Now, what you have to understand, and write this in your notes, what righteousness is, is the actual word of God in you when it's activated by the Spirit. Write this down as well. You cannot separate the Spirit of God and the Word of God. The two are one. I'm not talking about the written Word. I'm talking about the actual spoken Word. The written Word was an expression of the spoken Word, of the Spirit. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are one. So when God began to restore us back to something better, He put his righteousness inside of you through the grace of God. I'm going to give you scripture for this. But I've seen people come to church for a long time, but they never get a full restoration. And they're still struggling at the altar. Wait, wait, it was like, that is down with. That's how you had to start that Model T. Crank it, the old one. Then you had to run around and get the steering wheel and tweak it. It was a big mess. People are still coming around church thinking that I don't want to deflate anybody's religious. Well, I want to pop your religious bubble real quick. Then I'm going to maybe give you some encouragement. I hope it comes out that way. So. You can't just come to church, read your Bible, and and think to yourself, oh, I'm a good person. I read my Bible this week, and I came and sat down in church. Therefore, I'm just going to sit and be a good boy, good girl. I'm just going to sit and listen, take notes, and just go back home and continue to live my life. Listen, prayer is the very source to the Spirit of God. Praise is the very source to connect with the Spirit of God. You must engage through worship, through speaking. You know, the one secret I would give to men is this, because men have a tendency, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you from experience, of not saying anything, just sitting there, not showing emotion to God. We hide ourselves. We recluse ourselves. We don't want to share our affections with nobody of how we feel, and that's how you're made. But that's why when you come to God, you got to be a little boy again. As a a woman of God, for those of you that are here, you have to go to God as a little girl. Why do you think Jesus said, come to me as children, for such is the kingdom of God? You have to trust him. You have to go to him as a father. You have to open up yourself, and you've got to tell him what your needs are. He knows your needs, but you see, he's not going to move past your will. You have to be willing and obedient. Speak, then the Spirit of God can flow through that. But here's the challenge. 
You see, a lot of people, even after receiving the Spirit of God in their life, don't know what to do with it. You want to know why? They don't get fully restored in their life. You want to know why they don't get fully restored and why they can't fix the problems? Because of this slide right here, they don't go back and read the manual. The owner's manual, if you look at this slide, is what most people are looking for and don't catch it. This manual has every issue that you're going to deal with in your spiritual walk. This manual will tell you what to put in your spirit, what not to put in your spirit, what to put in your mind, what not to put in your mind. You see, God gave the law back in the Old Testament to keep them from bondage, not to put them in bondage. And most of us think, well, my God, we can do whatever we want. I mean, look, this isn't back to the future. You just can't put banana peels and cans of aluminum in your car and run on it. Okay, nobody's seeing back to the future too? Or one. just saying we think our cars run on junk we expect to get far in our walk with God and we're not getting refilled and we're not getting cooled off you know let me tell you something the word of God helps you indicate what is going on on the inside a lot of people don't know why why am I going through this why why am I having problems here in my marriage in my finances in relationships in my business even can I tell you that this manual has the answers in it it does have the answers I've seen it when I was working in the, in the workforce over, over, gosh, over maybe 20 years ago or so, I think it was, I was working someplace, and a guy came up to me one time. He knew I was a believer, and he came up to me. and said, where in the Bible does it say you can't drink Budweiser? <laughs> I looked at him for a moment like, dude, like, Really? You think the Bible's going to say Budweiser? <laughs> That's the way you think. I can't help you, to be quite honest with you. Because no matter what I tell you, you're not going to listen to me anyways. Why should I argue with you? But if you want help, I can tell you where it talks about being refraining yourself from wicked, strong drink. Wine is a mocker. Don't get, you don't want me getting off on alcohol because I'll start everybody to be at the altar. I'm messing with you. I'm just messing with you. So I know you just like Topo Chico, the water. I get it. I get it. Just the water. It's good. Listen. This word of God has the answers. It's what the spirit inside of you can give your mind. You see, your spirit needs your mind to be in alignment. So when you take the word of God, you're actually in alignment with God. If you're out of sync with him and you keep running into issues and troubles and steering off the path, it's because you need a realignment. The only way to get a realignment is, is to make the spirit connect with the word. And then you have understanding. That's a full restoration. God gave us his written word to help us to identify what the spirit inside has given us. So let me give you this analogy. If I were to describe this, in the terms of a vehicle, a modern-day remodel or restoration is this under a new covenant. Not only did God give you a better engine under a new covenant, not only did God give you power and authority, but he gave you the ability to have gauges on the dashboard to help you know what's going on in the engine. The Word of God, the written Word of God, is to help you discern what's going on in the engine. That's what all those pressure gauges are up there for and temperatures and all of that stuff. They're all tied into the main thing, the power, and gives you everything. Some things aren't even on there. Some things just tie in. You see, there's a lot of things when we get tied into the Spirit of God and have the Word of God in us. God doesn't even have to, we don't have to worry about certain things. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. God's technology far surpasses any technology we can think of. 
I saw a video of two older guys, the daughters, I think dad and uncle got into a car. They called an Uber, but they called a Tesla. The car shows up. The, the daughter gets in and the two older men, probably in their 70s or so, are in the back. And when they said and got in the back, they said, where's the driver? And the car started taking off on its own. It was a Tesla. And they were so scared, man. They were so scared. What's going on over here? They just said, what's happening over there? I mean, they just were mad. These guys were mad. And then they came to the intersection. It knew the red light, knew the green light. They were scared for their life. It started taking off, got them to the destination. They go, I've never in my life seen anything like this ever. Can I ask you a question? If men can do that for cars, why can't God do that for us? You not think, do we not think that the spirit of God has the wisdom, the understanding, and the ability to drive us, to get us to our destination where we want to go and need to go for our life? I want to say something to you that I think needs to be known by the church. No matter what technology or AI form of artificial intelligence is in this world or what they're doing with Tesla or anybody else, though, you know, I'm just simply telling you that God's technology is greater. The Spirit of God, before there were ever cell phones, there was prayer. And prayer got such a long distance. And you never lost a tower. You're never without communication. He never gets tired. The phone service is always there. The technology that heaven has for us has the ability to defeat armies, to blind armies, to get rid of the devils in your life, to guide you and direct you down the right paths, except we're not equipping ourselves to hear the voice of God. What you and I need to understand is the word is already inside of you through the spirit. That's why many times that you start coming to church and you have an experience with God and you get his power and his presence and you start doing things that are right out of love. That's why the scripture says we're not under the law, we're under grace. What that means is, is that the grace of God is the power of God to drive us in the right paths. The righteousness of God, the word of God is inside of you. How many of you like to see proof in the Bible? Raise your hand. You ready? All right, here it is, Jeremiah 31 and 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. And write it upon their hearts. That's now. Oh, you need to hear it again. Okay, let's do it again. You ready? But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. And I will write them upon their hearts, their spirits, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In other words, I'm going to put what they didn't have before. I'm going to restore them, but I'm also going to give them the power to direct them and lead them by my righteousness. That's where we're living right now. We have everything necessary for God to guide us and direct us. Come on, hey, I'm closing with this. Years ago, years ago when I got saved, before I was ministering, I was a Sunday school teacher for many years, then became a youth leader, and then became a teacher for, for alcohol chemical treatment series in the community, and I was, I was just serving. I didn't ask for be promoted to calling. I didn't ask for the calling in my life. In fact, I served for 12 years straight without ever, ever preaching the gospel, but I'd learn. God blessed me. He would begin to open doors for me, but I never touched the door or the knob on the door to get into a new place of ministry. I never did. God opened the door for me, 
invited me in and he began to do the work but it took hunger it took sacrifice it took many many years of fasting and prayer and studying the bible i could not read correctly i wasn't in honor classes in high school i mean i wasn't in fom either but still i wasn't in honors but i couldn't read out loud but the holy spirit when i began to read the word of god made me fluent and made me be able to speak and to teach and to do these things. It was after I got saved and filled with power that my life began to change and God began to bless me. And I was hungry, hungry for God's word, hungry for an experience. And I remember one day, one day I was just like, God, I'm off today. My wife is gone with the kids. I have nothing to do. I'm just so hungry to win a soul to you. I haven't taught a Bible study in, in weeks because I've been doing a shutdown at work and I was busy but Lord I want to teach a Bible study I had something inside of me that wanted to help somebody teach somebody tell them about Jesus and so I said to myself God I'm going to go to the church and early in the morning early in the morning I'm going to stay there until you give me somebody somebody help me win somebody I went to the church that morning and it was I was by myself Nobody was there. The pastor was just so good to me. He allowed me to come into the church, gave me a key, and I'd go in there all the time and just pray. But that day, I was determined, Lord, I want to hear you. I, I need you to tell me, how does this work? How do I do it? And I stayed there for hours and hours. And finally, in the afternoon, I left. And I didn't hear nothing, but I felt a release in my spirit. And I left and I got in my car and I thought, you know, I, I didn't hear from God, but that's okay. I felt like God touched me. I felt he released me. And when I drove out and I was about to go into the street from the parking lot of the church, the Holy Ghost inside of me said, take a right. God's GPS system, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, take a right. I took a right. He said, now go straight. He said, now take a left. I didn't say one word. I wasn't like, what's happening right now? I was in it, and I felt it, and I just being obedient. It wasn't strange to me. It wasn't scary to me. I was just in it. He kept telling me, now take a left. Now go straight. This went on for, you know, for a little while, maybe 10 minutes or so, five minutes. I don't know how long it was, but then I ended up on the outside of town off of 59 in Burrowsville Road. And I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I'm thinking to myself, was this you, God, or did I just have gas or something? I don't know. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh my God. Sorry, Lord. I thought this was you. And he said, go down that road. It was a dirt road. And I looked and there was a big piece of property that you couldn't see from the road. There were buildings back there. You couldn't see because the trees were so high. He said, go down that dirt road. And I started going down this dirt road. Now I started getting scared because now I'm out in the middle of nowhere down a dirt road and I don't see anything down here. I'm thinking, man, so I'm making sure it wasn't the devil. And I was like, <laughs> finally I came to a building, an orange building. Had to, they did work with the oil field. And I get there and I drive in the parking lot and I said, well, this is the only place it can be. This is the only thing over here. So I walked in the building. And when I walked in the building, the lady at the front desk said, how can I help you? I did not know what to tell her. So I said, are you hiring? Megan, are you hiring? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I mean, I could be making more than what I'm making now. So I might as well apply anyways. I'm not going to waste this trip. I need a job. She goes, no, we're not hiring. I said, well, then I thought, okay, well, now to what I say. I don't either go walk out right now or I'm going to ask her another question. And I said, well, just in case, can you just give me an application? I'd like to fill it out just in case you start hiring. And he goes, she goes, sure. She was very kind. She said, sure. So she gets up, walks away. Out from the back office comes a man. It was my old high school professor that taught me instrumentation. He looks at me and he says, Robert, and he called me Robert. He said, Robert, what are you doing here? <laughs> Filling out an application. He goes, 
man, I have been asking about you. I have been trying to find your number for weeks. I need someone to teach me and my family a Bible study, and I thought about you. How did you find me here? I said, I didn't find you here, but the Lord knew where you were. And I got his number. We connected, and God made that happen. So I'm telling you here right now, there's something on the inside of you that will lead you the paths of righteousness. Here's what I want to leave you with. When God gives you power, his righteousness steers you in the right direction. You have the word of God in you. Go to the manual. Connect the mind with the spirit and let God begin to direct your path. God wants to use you. God will give you direction for your business, for your career, for your family, for every decision you have to make in your life. But don't think that the restoration that God has for you is what you used to be. If what you used to be is what you're looking for, you're going to fall into the same predicament. God wants to give you something bigger, better, wiser, stronger. And he wants to give you a new anointing. But you need to ask him, restore my soul, dear God, and make it happen. Will you stand to your feet here? This Sunday afternoon, will you just lift up your hands? Will you just lift up your voices? Would somebody just surrender to this presence of God in the building? Would you simply begin to yield to Him right now? Would you yield to His presence and close your eyes, lift your hands, and just say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, direct me. God, feel me. Lord, I want to surrender in my mind. I want to surrender my heart. I want to surrender my soul. I need you today, dear God. I need you today. I need you in my spirit. I open myself up. I repent of everything. I repent of everything. I'm the problem. I'm the one, God, who's getting in the way. I'm the one that's causing myself to lose out with you. Restore in me a right spirit. Create in me a clean heart. If you've not given your life to Jesus today, repent right now and tell him, Lord, forgive me. Tell him, make him my, be my Lord and Savior today. Be my Lord and Savior today. If you want an experience, an impartation, I want you to lift your hands. I'm going to ask the Lord to right there. I don't have to touch you. I don't have to put hands on you. The Holy Ghost is right there, right now. I pray right now in the name of Jesus in this atmosphere. Lord, help me right now. Send your angels, God. Send your spirit right now. Activate the righteousness of God. Remove the unrighteousness. Speak. Open up the ears and the mind of every person here. Let them hear the voice of God. Let them hear the word of God. Let them hear your voice today. Speak, dear Lord, as they open their mouth, as they open their mouth and begin to love you and begin to praise you. Now somebody open up your mouth and give him a loud voice of praise and worship right now and begin to tell him how much you love him. Come on, somebody, somebody say Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.